Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group, and I have edited and published the website theweeklydriver.com since 2004. My colleague and friend is Bruce Aldrich, and today we have on a very topical uh, guest in the news um, with the recent announcement of the autopilot program from Tesla being under scrutiny. And our guest today is um, Bryant Walker-Smith, and he is a professor at the University of Southern, uh, Southern Calif- uh, South Carolina, I beg your pardon, an expert in these in these situations. We Someone's from California. Pardon me? Somewhere from California, yes. Someone's from California. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, and uh, he has a lot of affiliations in... Um, in this area, and so welcome to our podcast, uh, Bryant. We appreciate. I called you yesterday. You were available, and we uh, want to tap into your uh, knowledge about this industry that we're in that seems to be changing um, almost on a daily basis. So, thanks for taking the time to be on our podcast. My pleasure, James. Um, let's just jump in. Uh, you're you're in an area that Bruce and I were talking about um, before we started. You're an expert in the. Um, autopilot situation with uh, vehicles, and it's only been around for a short period of time. And I'm assuming that you're a pretty young guy. How is it that you came to be an expert in an industry that really didn't exist more than a few years ago? Well, what is your background, and, and what triggered, if you will, your interest in the in this area? Wow, you're making me feel old. Um, <laughs> so I have a background um, both in transportation engineering uh, and in law. And since 2011, so a decade now, I've used uh, transportation technologies and driving automation specifically as a primary case study for looking at the relationship between law and technology, right? How technology affects law, how law affects technology. Um, and so I... I really started out at Stanford, where I embedded myself full-time um, with some of the engineering labs that were working on these questions to understand the technologies. Uh, and then since then have, have just gone where not just the technologies, but the, the really the policy and legal issues have, have taken us all. Uh, and I, I, would, I would refer to you know, automation technologies generally. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think we'll be talking specifically about driver assistance technologies, of which Tesla's you know, questionably named autopilot is is just one, and then the the future potentially of automated driving technologies that is those that that could truly deserve the the, the name self driving. Yes, as as a quick follow up to that, and I'm sure Bruce is is has his share of questions as well. When that's when the story broke, maybe two days ago now or three days ago, of issues with what Tesla is calling their auto pilot program and is it a sound bite if you will the public hears this and it's 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 pretty shocking to hear that these 11 or 12 or 14 instances have occurred but when that news gets out have you already been familiar with it for for a while and is this um as i mentioned is this a, a way to alarm the public educate the public or is it is it none of those things what are, what are we actually seeing that's behind that if, if you can enlighten us Oh, yeah. So, so in a lot of ways, the, the, the facts are old news. Um, the, the roughly dozen crashes involving um, 
Tesla vehicles and emergency um, responders have have been widely reported and discussed. Um, what's what's news is Tesla's formal inquiry into them, which could potentially lead to to a finding of defect or an effort to to seek some sort of recall. Uh, and in, in that way, it's it's, it's not terribly big news. I think it's one piece of a much larger set of questions about Tesla, its technologies, and really its marketing. Um, and, and that's a much more important story. This narrow question, as you've said, is, is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's inquiry into these incidents in which um, Tesla's using some kind of advanced driver assistance system have collided with emergency vehicles. Uh, and that's concerning, right? Cars yes. shouldn't hit fire trucks, right? Fire trucks are big, they're red, they're, they're, they have flashy lights. Like, that shouldn't happen. Now, the, the important background is that, is that drivers in all kinds of vehicles unfortunately do collide with emergency vehicles. Um, emergency vehicles tend to be in, in somewhat dangerous places. That is a problem. Driver distraction more generally is a problem. Um, Tesla's driver assistance technologies may have very serious problems in their design, in their interaction with the drivers, and in their marketing. And all of that is worth examining. It's important to examine in that broader context. Yes. Bruce? Yes, uh, that is a problem. Like you say, the marketing guys get a little ahead of the technology boys. And uh, in between there, I guess the consumer can be confused. Especially if you pay a oh, whole... In between there are the lawyers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That too. That too. Those guys. And, but, and women. But oh. the, you can buy a technology suite on a Tesla. I think it's in the neighborhood of $10,000. It's called the full autonomous uh, driving suite. I guess it's something like that. So when you pay ten grand for an autonomous driving mm-hmm. suite, you might be confused and think, that you're actually buying something, not 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 something that could occur with software, you know, five years from now. Yeah, so let's let's deal with that term and then never speak of it again. Um, it's like the, the the he who shall not be named uh, or the the, the Macbeth of, of actors. So Tesla sells um, offers for subscription and markets a set of features that it calls full self-drive. Okay. Um, and I'm going to say that once, FSD, and I'm not going to say it again, because that is not just a misleading name. That is a, a outright false name. It is ludicrous, to borrow a term from Tesla. Um, Thank the you. reason why I say, you're welcome, I think. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the reason I say ludicrous yes. is, is Tesla, you know, in its fine print, actually says this is not an autonomous system and the driver must carefully supervise. Now, how could you have a human driver of a system that is you know, fully self-driving? Uh, it is a non sequitur. It is nonsensical. Um, so this is at most a driver assistance system that works unless and until it doesn't. That's the key. It will do what it does unless it doesn't. Um, and the problem arises in that those situations where it doesn't. Um, we might charitably call those edge cases, and the fire tr- the, the fire truck crashes to 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 speak casually. Uh, 
is probably one of those edge cases, one of what potentially could be many, many different sets of edge cases. So yeah, Tesla markets these systems. Um, it's, it's another marketing term that it's used for a more limited set of driver assistance features is autopilot. Um, and these in the top level marketing in a lot of the communications or the casual endorsements um, from CE, uh, from Tesla's founder, among others, um, give the impression that these systems are far more capable than they are. Now, this is disclaimed in the fine print, um, which is not legitimate for consumer protection reasons. Um, and it is, is strenuously disclaimed by, by lawyers for Tesla, even by engineers for Tesla. But... Uh, the end of the day, if you describe a system as full self-driving, it should be fully self-driving, and this is clearly not. Thank and you, so Brian. what we're seeing in not you, yeah, and so what we're seeing in, in not just these fire truck crashes, but a lot of other incidents involving Teslas is some combination of, of two or three things. The first is these systems are not performing as well as we would expect a human driver to perform in similar situations. Um, right? they're, they're not perceiving a lane line or an obstruction or something else. They're not responding in, in an appropriate way. And that is a, you know, a purely technical issue. The other is an issue of driver distraction where the human drivers who are using these systems, i.e. driving their vehicles, um, are not necessarily behaving in the way that we would expect of a responsible driver that is, that is vigilantly monitoring the road environment, intervening when appropriate. Um, and it's this combination of these two that are, are likely explanation for many of the, the Tesla incidents. Um, this is exacerbated by, at least in the past, um, the relatively lax driver monitoring on Tesla vehicles. So GM Super Cruise, for example, monitors eye, um, eye position. Um, Tesla for a long time has not. Um, and that, that makes the ability to detect and respond to driver distraction and retention um, less than it could be. Now, I want to put this in context, um, because I said at the beginning that, that you know, human drivers in a variety of vehicles um, end up crashing into, into police cars and other vehicles. Um, distracted driving is a huge problem. It is a problem regardless of if you are in a 2021 Tesla or a 1972 Chevy, right? Um, yes. It is a serious issue. Um, and there are people doing irresponsible things in cars right now. How do we even listening to this podcast? Um, and it doesn't matter if they have a driver assistance system or not. They're being dangerous. And so I don't want to lose fast sight of the fact that today 100 people are going to die on the roads. Um, a lot of them are going to die because of some kind of driver irresponsibility in combination with other factors. Um, and so we should look at new technologies as, a, in part, an opportunity to do something about that larger problem of distraction. But at the same time, we need to make sure that these technologies don't exacerbate those problems of distraction, to make it more tempting, to make it easier uh, in a way that ultimately compromises safety. This is the difficult dance 
of these driver assistance systems. And it's something that we need a much more mature examination of. Sure. When humans kill somebody or through inattention, drinking and driving, you know, 40,000 a year is acceptable. When, when a machine kills somebody, one isn't acceptable. It's a different standard for the machine. Yeah, we don't care until it happens to us. Um, right. I I think we should be concerned about um, automated driving. And we don't have large-scale automated driving yet. Tesla is not an example. Be concerned about these technologies, about machines. But yes, we should be terrified about human drivers. Um, by and large, they're the ones who are killing people on the roads today. Right. I was going to follow up uh, by asking if 100 drivers are distracted in cars that don't have any sort of driving assistance program, and they're, not, and they're doing it that way, and people are dying, as Bruce mentioned, 40,000 a year, is the transition that we're trying to say is that if people aren't paying attention when they should be paying attention with regular driving systems... Is there an assumption that they're saying, well, this car is supposed to do it for me, so now I can even pay atten- attention to a, less- to a lesser degree than I was not paying attention before? So that's a there's a danger there, I'm assuming, too. Absolutely. That is, that is the unintended consequence, although a very foreseeable unintended consequence of these systems. And it points to the need for much more careful engineering and analysis of, of the, the function of these systems. So let me give you an example. Please. Um, automated emergency braking, um, which is a feature that is available on many vehicles, um, has been available on Tesla for a while. It was actually um, you know, briefly in some manifestations disabled as part of one of Tesla's updates, um, is a really important safety feature. That means if you know, you're driving a car and you just miss a pedestrian stepping out in front of the street. The car might break in a way that prevents or reduces that, that crash. That's really important. That can benefit drivers who are paying attention but are imperfect. That can benefit drivers who are distracted. Um, and so that's really important. But then the next level question is, could a system like this give a driver false confidence so that suddenly they are more comfortable looking down at their phone? Uh, more comfortable you know, being an irresponsible driver, and that actually um, exacerbates the problem. That's the second-order question. Then the third is, well, what can we do about this? Are there ways that we can pair these technologies that they actually have the safety benefits without the distraction benefits? So, for example, um, lane-keeping is an example um, where um, the, a feature will keep a vehicle within, on the center of a lane as it's traveling down a road. Um, that can have real safety benefits, but you can imagine that could also encourage a driver to, to be more distracted. So um, what if that kind of feature were deployed in a way that um, as long as you were paying attention, um, your vehicle would be centered on the lane? But if you stopped paying attention, well, it would go from active lane keeping to more of a passive, uncomfortable lane keeping, where it would ping you back and forth between the lane, right? You'd start looking like a drunk driver. Um, in a way that would be a very uncomfortable driving experience. That would still maintain some of the safety benefits without the convenience features that, that would make a driver prone to distraction. Um, now, a lot of these 
safety features are paired with convenience features. They, they blend. And so there is an argument that people will buy features for convenience, um, but that will also bring safety benefits. And so understanding all of these complex dynamics in, in consumer behavior and driver behavior and safety is really important to designing systems that ultimately prioritize safety um, rather than just convenience or thrill. Wow. Yep, those are interesting questions. You're on the U.S. Department of Transportation's ACAT committee, which is Advisory Committee on the Automation and Transportation. Is that correct? Um, I was. That was a Obama era committee. Oh, okay. That was uh, that died a slow death under the previous administration um, and has not has not been resurrected. Oh, okay. Well, I can still, it's relevant. What were you working on? What were you writing standards or, or what were you doing? You co-authored a standard, I believe. If I read that correctly, you were a co-author of, of a current standard. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, the society of automotive and aerospace engineers, at least they used to be called now it's uh, anachronism, just SAE, uh, is a industry expert group that develops a lot of very influential standards. And one that I started working on almost a decade ago um, with others was the, the levels of driving automation. So um, your, your listeners and readers will be familiar probably with, with terms like level one, level two, level four, level five. Yes, um, yes. Uh-huh. And generally these are thrown around and absolutely mangled in their definition. It's like a shibboleth. The number of... of of people who confidently assert the completely wrong definition of these is incredible. Now, when it comes to the public, I, I think I and SAE can take some, some fault for that. Um, when it comes to the experts who should be reading and knowing, that's on them. Um, so, yes, I was responsible for, um, with others, co-authoring uh, many of the, the versions of that. Um, now, that's different from what the advisory committee um, was, was intended to do. The advisory committee is, as its name suggests, Advisory. Uh, it's a group of experts, um, this exists across the federal government, who come together and, and provide important insight on relevant topics to an agency. And when this group was formulated, the, the idea was to really help identify the issues in automation generally, air, land, sea, um, that the Department of Transportation should be thinking about. Um, one of the, the nascent efforts that um, I would have liked to see get up the was the idea of sharing information, of, of sharing really edge cases or driving scenarios. Um, my proposal, um, and may have been chaotic, was, was that companies would share their edge cases, their difficult scenarios, the problems they had run into. Um, and it could be available in a giant database of, of scenarios. Um, how you translate those among various Systems is a real concern, come in AI experts. But the idea is you'd have this shared knowledge, uh, and then companies could test their system against these edge cases to see how well their system performed. Now, you don't want a company designing for the test, right? Where you say, well, these are the things you need to do. All right, well, we'll make sure our system can do these and no more. So the hook on this was you would have to make your results public. Anytime you tested your system against these scenarios, you would have to show whether or not it passed. And that way we would not have companies designing for the test, but rather using this as a double check, as a validation of the system that they were already confident in. And that's just an example of, of the kind of ideas that this group is starting to work on 
um, when it died its ignoble death. Gotcha. Back to Tesla. How come are there hundreds of lawsuits against them for this autonomous and their language that they're using? And why does the government not, uh, you know, if this was a baby buggy or a car seat, they'd immediately make them stop with the language and or recall the product. Why is there nothing going on with Tesla? Yeah, right. If, if, if a company sold an umbrella that it called a parachute, I, I, I think we would have um, some, some serious concerns about that. And, and you know, I, I want to avoid hyperbolizing, but, but essentially this term is, is as absurd as that. So Tesla is certainly inviting trouble on many fronts. Seems like um, it. From the Federal Trade Pardon? I said it sure seems like it. Yeah, yeah. So from the Federal Trade Commission, uh, and in fact, I think just today, um, some senators requested the FTC look into this, um, that is, into the, the misleading names that Tesla uses. Um, the FTC also has eight counterparts that can look at deceptive marketing. Um, it's inviting trouble from the California Department of Motor Vehicles for at least potentially crossing into the realm of so-called autonomous vehicle testing without state approval. Um, it's inviting trouble from competitors with driver assistance systems, from, from competitors with actual automated driving systems, from ordinary consumers, from future crash victims who could all sue under state or federal law, uh, including even the, the Lanham Act. Um, and just a note on that, you know, a company cannot use the fine print to contradict its advertising. If it said something in headlines, it's stuck by that. It doesn't matter if it, you know, has a little tiny fine print that says not actually true. So we have seen um, in Europe um, some legal issues for Tesla around it. Um, in the U.S., we've seen some lawsuits regarding um, claims about the, the availability and maturity of, of these systems. Um, anytime there's a crash, there's certainly the potential for litigation. Uh, in other cases, it, it's, it's probable that, that settlements have, pre have prevented you know, public knowledge of, of settlements or, or would-be litigation. Um, there is a lot that, that Tesla's lawyers should, should be very concerned about at this point. And that's why I say NHTSA's investigation into these 11 or so crashes is certainly important and could lead to much more. It could be the tip of the iceberg. But, but we can actually see a fair amount of that iceberg already. Yes. I, your, what you've uh, educated us with is, takes me into a bunch of different areas. And, um, but I'm going to put you on the spot. If you haven't already had lunch with Elon Musk, if you had the opportunity to have lunch or dinner or a beer or a cup of coffee, how, how would you begin that conversation? Would it be... Um, as a professor, as a scientist, as a researcher, as a person who obviously has an opinion about Tesla, how, what would you? What would you? What would be your opening line to to Mr. Musk? I would ask him about trust. Um, what what his end game is, and how trust and trustworthiness play into it. Um, I have a lot of admiration for marketing geniuses. Um, I am clearly not one. You should see my graphic design abilities. <laughs> um, and there is importance in telling a story and giving people hope, optimism, something to look forward to. Um, that is really, really powerful. And um, Tesla has been responsible for showing us a vision of electric vehicles that, yes. that many 
dismissed. And in fact, much of, of the traditional automotive industry laughed at just a few years ago. That is incredibly powerful. And that's the power of a good story. Um, but the other part of that is a full and honest story, is, tr- is earning trust. And that means not just telling what's possible, but also in the future, but what's possible now, what's difficult, what's hard, what's uncertain. I'm talking openly about failures, uh, about struggles, as well as about hopes and dreams. And um, that is what I, I don't see a lot of. And I would want to understand why. Why use these kinds of misleading terms? Why overpromise on timelines or technologies or capabilities? Um, why, why make this about yourself um, in, in many ways? Um, fundamentally, for me, this does come back to a question of trust. Like if we can't trust Tesla when it calls its vehicles full self-driving, mm-hmm. then why can we trust Tesla when it calls its vehicles safe or makes any other claims or assertions? That, uh, and that really concerns me because I want I want them to succeed. Sure. I mean, they've cha- obviously it's changed the automotive industry, um, and it's still only a very small percentage of the sales in the automotive industry, but there's no doubt he has changed the automotive industry. But that said... The second part of the same question is, it, it has been in recent years that the te- one of the Tesla models, if not more than one, was determined to be the safest car on the road. It scored more than 100 points by one of the, the, um, the testing organizations of safety. And yet, also in some other capacities, it's been taken off of the list of safe cars by mm-hmm. car publications. To me, there's... It doesn't add up on some levels. I don't understand why it can be the safest and why it can be taken off a recommended list at, at simultaneously if, or, or nearly simultaneously. Any any thoughts on that, Brian? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so part of it is is the the oh limited nature of of any of these rankings or reviews, and I I, I often shy away from from anything that puts puts things in, in numbered order. Um, the, the other is, is, is concerns, and I can't speak to this directly, but, but certainly there have been concerns about the production consistency and longevity of, of some vehicles. Um, again, I have no independent knowledge of that. Um, and then the third is the, is the, is the reality that, that Tesla's vehicles are, are rather uniquely in the industry still very dynamic, but the car that you buy is not the same car that could be sitting in your driveway a week from now. Um, Tesla has pushed updates that change the ride height, that change what the vehicle does when it's at an intersection, when it's stopped or it creeps forward, um, that, that change battery life and, and power. And that's even before we get to the various driver assistance features that, that Tesla has pushed and then called back and, and updated and changed and could be now. Um, it, is, it is like our phones or our computers that are updating overnight. And, and so when you have those dramatic changes to um, core safety systems, that, that can also um, change the safety performance. Uh, and I think the most recent incident of concern from one of these, these organizations was with respect to um, Tesla's um, elimination of some of its safety features with its most recent release of, of its software. Um, and that again is 
great great opportunity for improved safety, but also a new set of, of challenges and legal questions and, and real risks. I'm going to speak a little bit, uh, obviously, as a layperson here, with your strong um, knowledge and your strong opinions about this industry. Obviously, you're, you're trained. You have all this expertise. Um, do, are you ever concerned uh, about the lawyer's term that's called slander? <laughs> oh gosh, I get I get lovely emails from people, and and <laughs> I I always want to introduce the people who who think I'm a shrill for Tesla with the people who think I'm I'm a I'm a Tesla short seller. I think they would just have wonderful conversations with each other. Yes, um, I I teach defamation. Yes, um, as a law professor, I am familiar with in particular uh, Mr. Musk history with that. Yes. Um, and I am careful in the facts that I cite. Um, and I would like to think that my opinions are based on those facts and that I update them, um, when I have new information or perspective. Um, fundamentally we are talking about an issue of tremendous public importance involving public figures. Uh, and so I, I am I am acting with my lawyer head on as well. Gotcha. Thank you, Bryant. Do you know if the NHTSA um, is actively investigating other manufacturers for the same problems? Mm. So, NHTSA about a month ago um, took a very important step, and that was to send a friendly letter to I believe it was nearly a hundred companies involved in uh, advanced driving technologies saying, hey, y'all, let us know when you have incidents that we should be aware of. And this isn't just a request. This is a requirement. Um, And that will be incredibly important to understanding how these systems are performing. And that includes um, both advanced driver assistance systems that are available on production vehicles, the kind that you and I can buy. It also includes um, automated driving systems, that is, automated vehicles that are being tested by, by companies on the roads. Uh, and so that will, I think, give us a sense of what these problems are. And to understand the problems, can we start to solve them? And that's one of the reasons why the, you know, this, this fire engine story is, is well, interesting, also a, a little frustrating administratively because it's kind of like edge case whack-a-mole. So we have reports of these 11 or so incidents and it will spend a year investigating that. And then there might be negotiation and some sort of, of virtual recall or limitation. And at that point, Tess will have already figured this out mostly. Um, but then there will be another edge case, another scenario that, that, that NHTSA will slowly get data about because uh, crashes are a pretty, a pretty lagging indicator of a safety problem. Um, my, my hope is that the other data that NHTSA is getting formally through requests like the one last month and informally through its robust conversations and even partnerships with, with industry um, that will give us a much better sense of not just the challenges here, but also the opportunities. Because I come back to the reality that, that, 
people are driving dangerously every day. We can't think about this as just a problem removed from us. You know, something over there with just those Tesla drivers or just those rich people with those rich cars. It's everybody who is at risk of behaving dangerously or at risk from others' dangerous behavior. And we need to grapple with that in its context. And Thank so, you for that. That's yeah, great. That's great stuff. On these- <laughs> Um, well, I, I, I well, was uh, sure. I was also going to ask it. I, I'm trying to focus on different areas, but one of the things that's come to in my mind is that when Tesla debuted, I think it was 2008 now, 2008, 2009 with the first model, it immediately became, in my opinion, an elitist car. And one of the things that Elon Musk wanted to do was make his product available to the everyman, if you will. The person who is a, a modest or medium in, um, income, not someone who can buy a, a very expensive car. I don't think he succeeded on that until recently. And is part of the problem also that this is a problem that isn't faced by the every person who can buy a regular car. It's only a problem of the elite. Or has that changed in your opinion? Or is it per- even pertinent? Yeah. Oh, it's it's very relevant. I mean, the average age of a vehicle is is over 11 years at this point. Um, and so, under an old model of, of of replacing technologies, we are decades away from from you know whole scale turnover. Unless something changes, right? Unless we move to a service model or something else. So, I think the goal of of pushing technologies out to the broader public is laudable and important. Um, and I, I credit the aspiration. I think he, I think Tesla has had the most success in that, probably not with its new vehicles, but like any manufacturer with its old vehicles. Um, Tesla has been around now for well over a decade, which means there are some old Teslas that are on, on the road and on the market and on their second, third, fourth uh, owner. And and you know, that is the reality of how, of how many people um, are going to have are going to have vehicle technology. So that's that's part of it. Yes. Um the if this is a problem just for the just for the elites, um, no, because um, anybody can be hit by a expensive car. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. And a safety technology in a vehicle. And by the way, safety technology is available in, in a variety of, of of new cars, not just the super expensive ones. Those, those safety technologies can prevent a driver from hitting anybody. Um, and so that is, in a sense, a very democratic and important set of technologies that can save lives or cost lives outside of the vehicle. Um, and the, there have been efforts to help the public understand what the, what features they can get on new cars, on old cars, um, how they can responsibly use those, how they should not use those. This is a really big issue because all of the fancy, shiny things that are coming out today are still going to be on the road in 10 years, at which point they're going to be laughably anachronistic. Um, and that will be a concern too, where, yeah. you know, your, your, your kid gets a car and it has, it has some sort of driving feature and their friends have a better driving feature. Do they know what theirs does and what theirs doesn't? I mean, it'll be, it'll be a real big set of issues. Um, a real, a real mess of a transition to what I hope is eventually a future where we don't have to worry about these things. This is a little bit of a tangent here, but we we weren't the only ones, but we did a story um, 
on a podcast as well as in print about Haggerty. And Haggerty, the insurance company, has taken upon itself to educate people if they choose to be educated on how to drive a manual transmission. So your example is a current example with people who don't know how to drive manual cars. So maybe 10 years from now, the assisted driving features will be so advanced that those uh, people who have 2021 cars will have perhaps an obsolete car. <laughs> I don't know. They won't know how to drive They won't car. know how to drive the car. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and will they realize that they don't know how to drive it? Yes. Um, one other quick area, I think the timing was uncanny. On, on 60 Minutes this past Sunday night was a repeated segment, and it was on the 18-wheel trucks and how that industry is changing with um, whatever the proper term is, uh, driving assistance. And Bruce and I were um, at a conference two years ago, and we sat in, a, in the truck from, I think the company was called Too Simple, and where that mm-hmm. company was going, mm-hmm. and they were testing the cars at 2 and 3 and 4 in the morning when nobody could see that an 18-wheel truck was going down Interstate 5 without a driver or a driver way back. in the. They didn't want to alarm people, I think. And so I'm wondering if some of this will be, uh, because of the vehicle itself, will be an issue, but also people who come upon a vehicle without a driver and then are further distracted, and it would be, uh, another whole set of problems in distracted driving from seeing a car that doesn't have a driver. Oh, yes. This has been a, a concern since, oh gosh, at least 2011 when Nevada started on the road of regulating. The the DMV director there at the time was Bruce Breslow, and he kept saying, I want a light. I want a light that shows when this vehicle is in automated mode. And so everyone started calling it the, the Bres bulb. Yes. Um, and, and there's been just back and forth debate about should should people know should they not we want people to know these are automated vehicles do want them to think they're every they're normal ordinary vehicles like what is the best way of of interacting with the other road users uh, a huge a area of of study and you know, human factors are at large um these issues still need to be um pursued refined um we're gonna see i will note with 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 trucks with heavy trucks um this is an area of, of tremendous potential, tremendous consternation as well. Um, a lot of the tests um, have indeed had vehicles that were um, performing the braking and accelerating and steering on their own. Um, generally, those tests have been under the supervision of a safety driver. And this is such an important caveat that almost every news article still misses. I wrote an article for reporters called How Reporters Can Evaluate Automated Driving Announcements for this purpose so that we could have more fidelity and accuracy in the reporting on which so much policy and public perception is based. I have to go find that article. That'd be great to have. <laughs> yeah. I'd be happy to send it. Yeah, You're great. Thank great. you for the little brief advertisement. You Our bet. reporters can evaluate automated driving announcements available now at newlypossible.org. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> but but you know the, the point I would make here, um, other than the miracle, is 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 there is a huge difference between a vehicle that is driving itself without a safety driver and one that is. Let me give you an example. Uh, imagine you get on an airplane and you're sitting in the back, and you know, the pilot comes over the loudspeaker and says, "Hi, folks." Uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, we'll be using autopilot today. Uh, have a nice flight. All right, sure. 
Now imagine that you're sitting in the back and the pilot says, hi, folks. I just want to let you know that you will be using autopilot today because I'm getting off the plane right now. (laughs) Have a nice flight. Right. I think you might feel a little differently. And that is the same with these tests, that just because a vehicle has gone down a road without the need to intervene doesn't mean there was no need for a safety driver because it could be on that test or the 10th or the 100th or the 1,000th test that, in fact, you do need somebody who's paying attention to intervene, right? I bet you could put a 10-year-old in a vehicle, and every now and then they'd be, they'd be able to drive down the street. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean it's safe, uh, and, and that's why we need more nuance and maturity in how we discuss the, capabil- the current capability of these systems, whether um, systems that you and I can buy or systems that are being tested. Thank you. What do you think of the uh, little transportation vehicles running around, say, Google Campus? Uh, I think some other small, closed campuses have little 10-mile-an-hour fleets driving people around. Are they monitored, or are they uh, fully autonomous? Do you know? Oh, yeah. I've, I've, for, for, gosh, it has been like a decade. I've wondered why Google Waymo just didn't do that, why they didn't take all of their advanced technology and choose this, this lower hanging fruit and just dominate that field. And, and they always said, we're really going for the moonshot. We don't want to concern ourselves with those. Um, I have, have long said that, that those other applications of the same technologies have so much more short-term potential. Um, and that sidewalk delivery robots, that some of the lower speed shuttles, um, there are, a very limited number that, that do, in fact, operate without constant real-time one-on-one human supervision. Um, and that is a tremendous technical advance that's kind of lost because we all expect that self-driving cars are everywhere now, but they're not. Um, um, all of um, applications in agriculture, in, in factories, in ports, all of these have tremendous potential that, that um, we, we might otherwise miss. In terms of getting to a vision of of truly automated vehicles on the road, there are really three pathways. Um, the first is that one that you've mentioned, that we have um, truly driverless vehicles that are very limited in where they operate. They're, they're, they go slow, they go in limited areas, and as the technologies get better and better, and as our confidence in those technologies gets, gets greater and greater, um, they expand their area. They start operating at night, or in rain, or in a um, bigger we're in downtown, and it's just that what we would call in technical terms the operational design domain grows and grows until the ODD is everywhere. That's one path. The second path is the kind of driver assistance systems that we've been discussing with Tesla, where you have a system that does more and more under the supervision of a human uh, until eventually the developer is confident enough in its system that it essentially promises that, that the human doesn't need to pay attention. Um, and then at that point, we, you know, whether everywhere or in, in limited situations, it, it moves closer to this, this model of, of truly automated. And then the third is, is, drivers, is driver safety systems. And this is where you know, I think there is so much untapped potential, where uh, you know, Toyota has, has, has exemplified this in, in one strand of its of research, where there's a, a safety envelope, and the system steps in to stop you from being an idiot. Um, to help you in your moments of, of, of mistake. 
Um, so you might think you're driving. You have your hand on the steering wheel. You have your foot ready to put the brake. But the system is going to make sure that you're not going to go too fast. The system is going to make sure you're not drunk. The system is going to step in like um, uh, electronic stability control does today to you know, guide you around that corner or to keep you from going off the road or to keep you from hitting that pedestrian. And just those start doing more and more and more until at some point, functionally, the vehicle is just driving. Um, I think those three paths are how we'll move to this vision of, of, of true automation everywhere. Um, and long before we get to that, that I, arguable ideal, um, it will have tremendous niche benefits. Gotcha. I, I, I wanted to throw another curve uh, potentially at you, and perhaps you've been asked before, um, Legally, um, could Elon Musk have some criminal um, culpability? I mean, could he be accused of being uh, having criminal behavior on any level if 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 he's advertising with um, some things that are being looked at that may not be true? Hmm. So, couple of questions. Um, Tesla's potential criminal liability and then the potential criminal liability of its officers or agents. Yes. Um, like Elon Musk. Um, and the, the lawyerly answer that, of course, I will give you is it depends. Yes. You know, conceivably, <laughs> yes. Um, um, there have been a limited number of prosecutions of companies or individuals for particularly egregious conduct. Um, and that can be something like lying to the government. Um, there are, there are crimin- federal criminal statutes that, that you know, potentially could come into play on, on some instances of, of potential misrepresentation, if, in fact, you know, the, the facts were to support that. Yes. Um, although that's, that's typically very unlikely. And even then, when you get into criminally prosecuting a company, there, there's not much of a line between criminal and civil actions by a government against a company because you just don't put companies in jail. Um, it's hard to do, um, unfortunately. Apparently, so occasionally you can use the death penalty against a company, but that's very rare. <laughs> okay. um, and then the, the the other is then officers, and and that that gets often even more tenuous. Um, you know, if, if if a engineer or a manager is merely negligent, merely careless, generally generally prosecutors don't invoke criminal law. It's when you do something really bad, like lie or cover up or impede an investigation um, that we see criminal law come into play. And that's where, you know, the, the BP um, Horizon spill or Exxon or others, you know, have this element, uh, Enron, excuse me, have this element, save Exxon for later, um, have this element of, of, of criminal culpability. Yes. The, the other aspect is, is if, there were to be um, more serious crashes where you know an innocent bystander was killed because of a failure of one of these systems. You could imagine a prosecutor bringing a manslaughter charge against the company or, or others who were involved in it um, if they felt like that behavior really rose to to realistically recklessness or higher. Um, the closest case we might have is the Uber crash a few years ago in which um, Elaine Hertzberg was killed. Yes. Um, and local prosecutors there um, determined that that 
criminal charges against Uber were not justified, although they did not explain whether that was based on um, the facts not supporting that or the law not supporting that. In other words, whether there just wasn't precedent for charging a company under the you know, vehicular manslaughter statutes. Gotcha. Um, I have pretty grave reservations about that conclusion. Um, and instead, what the press, what a prosecutor did was was charge the safety driver in that case um, with with crimes, uh, and that safety driver is is, is still being prosecuted. Um, and that may well be justified, um, but it is striking that that. Um, kind of sounds like a when when that person was the only one charged. It it it, it does sound a bit like scapegoating. Gotcha, um, Bryant. Um, so yeah, this is something for a lot of sort out. Yes, um, yes, are we is. are we going to hold companies responsible? Fund. I think that when we're talking about automated driving, and this isn't automated driving, but when we're talking about automated driving, companies drive vehicles. It's the company who is driving, not their technology, not the hapless person in, in, in the passenger seat, not some engineer halfway around the world monitoring the vehicle. It's the company acting through its human machine agents. And that's what we need to understand about legal liability, moral responsibility, and our expectations for trustworthiness. Perfect. Bryant, what a, what a way to uh, thank you for your time. We, we, we uh, asked for a half an hour and We've barely scratched the surface, and we're approaching an hour. So, thank you so much for your for your generosity. We we really appreciate. I think Bruce and I are almost 200 episodes into our podcast, and this is not disrespectful Congrats. to anybody else. But I think you've you've given us the most important podca- yep. the most important podcast episode we've had in about four the four years we've been doing this. So, thank you so much for your expertise. We we uh, really appreciate. Um, I'm going to say that you have a great author's name uh, as well, um, uh, Bryant Walker Smith. And we didn't, we failed to r- recognize um, your wonderful uh, email address, which I'm assuming is corresponding to a website, which is newlypossible.org. So we can encourage people to visit that. I haven't, but um, people should go visit that. I'm sure all, many many of your ideas <laughs> Thank are you presented. Thank you for that ringing endorsement. Yeah, I'm sure your ideas are are. Uh, presented just as nicely and as well spoken as you have been today it's it's in writing on your website if that's if that's true i i sure hope it is okay um, thank thank you for those kind words and thank you for your important work thank um you. i i so respect and value the work of journalists in in making my job so much easier and ultimately getting us the information we all need for these important conversations so thank you thank you brian cheers bye bye now. Cheers. bye bye